Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, with uh, heaviness on our hearts as we think about the anniversary of this horrific day. Lord, that 20 years ago we were attacked in a way we'd never been before, and so many people woke up and uh, didn't go home, Father. So many lives changed for the worse as family and friends realized their loved ones would no longer be in their lives. Uh, we thank you for the countless, uh, we think about the countless people that have died, families torn again by the loss of those fighting for the country. We think about those, Father, who didn't get to hear about you, Father, who did not get to accept Jesus' work on, on the cross, Father, as their salvation. Lord, may we always be ready to meet people in whatever season they're in, Lord, and ask that your love and your grace would be manifested through us in a way that people would notice, receive it, and ask why. We pray that you would use us to reach Lakeland, Polk County, Florida, and the ends of the earth for your glory. Amen. Amen. All right. So, uh, as Pastor Oren mentioned, we're... Uh, we're finishing up, uh, or continuing the book of Daniel, and, uh, we're talking, uh, we're looking today at the, at Daniel and the Lions Then something that's, uh, very familiar to most of us. If you spent any time in Sunday school, or around the church, in the church, outside the church, you probably, you probably heard of Daniel, uh, in the Lions Den. Um, but what, uh, Pastor Oren mentioned last week, what, what could happen with passages like this, in Daniel 6, um, is that we can just read right over these things because we're, fo- we're so familiar with it. We can just glance over details. We can just accept things as they are, as we read them, because we're, I mean, we know what happened, right? But I want, I want you to consider something. I want you to, to stop and look at me for a second. Wonderful. Think about this. By this time, Daniel is 70 years old. Any of us know a 70-year-old, someone, someone in that in that range? Can you? Oh, go, Miss Debbie. What? Get out of here, Miss Debbie. You lying? <laughs> Quit your lying. So you think about someone 70 years old, like Miss Debbie, being imprisoned uh, and, and thrown in a den full of lions. This really did happen. This person. Breathed there, he walked on this earth, uh, and these things we read about actually did happen, which is kind of crazy. So, as we go through this today, I don't want you to think of this as a, some kind of, uh, just another Bible story on, you know, on some kind of paper that you colored in, uh, and took home to your parents, or maybe you were the parents receiving said, uh, coloring page. Voila. Like so. <laughs> I want you to think about it. Think about this person who actually walked this earth and lived a specific kind of way that uh, caused others to uh, turn against him and how the Lord was able to uh, provide a way out. All right, so I want you to keep that in mind as we uh, turn there together today to Daniel chapter 6. And... Um, as you think about it, as you think about this person named Daniel and everything he went through, I want you to think about your lives. Think about, hey, has there ever been a time in my life where 
because of the way I live my life, someone has been jealous. Someone has turned against me. Someone has lied to me. And not only that, I want you to think about your reaction to, to those people. So in our text today, we're going to see an example of how we as believers should live for God in a world that is not our own, trusting in God and His sovereignty. So we're in uh, chapter 6, starting at verse 1. And as I mentioned, I'm going to be reading out of the Net Bible. So if it sounds a little different from what you're reading, it's okay. Um, All right, let's start. It seemed like a good idea to Darius to appoint over the kingdom 120 satraps who would be in charge of the entire kingdom. Over them would be three supervisors, one of whom was Daniel. These satraps were accountable to them so that the king's interest might not incur damage. Now this Daniel was distinguishing himself above the other supervisors and the satraps, for he had an extraordinary spirit. In fact, the king intended to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Consequently, the supervisors and satraps were trying to find some pretext against Daniel in connection with administrative matters. But they were unable to find any damaging evidence because he was trustworthy and guilty of no negligence or corruption. So these men concluded, We won't find any pretext against this man Daniel unless it is in connection with the law of his God. So these supervisors, satraps, came by collusion to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. To all the supervisors of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, counselors, and governors, it seemed like a good idea for a royal edict to be issued and an interdict to be enforced. For the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human other than you, O king, should be thrown into a den of lions. Now let the king issue a written interdict so that it cannot be altered according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be changed. So King Darius issued the written written interdict. When Daniel realized that a written decree had been issued, he entered his home where the window in his upper room opened toward Jerusalem. Three times daily he was kneeling and offering prayers and thanks to his God, just as he had been accustomed to do previously. Then those officials who had gone to the king came by collusion and found Daniel praying and asking help before his God. So they approached the king and said to him, Did you not issue an edict to the effect that the next thirty days, anyone who prays to any god or any human other than you, O king, would be thrown into a den of lions? The king replied, That is correct, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be changed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the edict that you issued three times daily, He offers his prayer. When the king heard this, he was very upset and began thinking about how he might rescue Daniel. Until late afternoon, he was struggling to find a way to rescue him. Then those men came by collusion to the king and said to him, Recall, O king, that is the law of the Medes and Persians that no edict or decree the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and Daniel was brought and thrown into a den of lions. The king consoled Daniel by saying, Your God, whom you continually serve, will rescue you. Then a stone was brought and placed over the opening of the den. The king sealed it with his signet ring and with those his nobles, those of his nobles, so that nothing could be changed with regard to Daniel.
Then the king departed to his palace, but he spent the night without eating, and no diversions were brought to him. He was unable to sleep. In the morning at the earliest sign of daylight, the king got up and rushed into the lion's den. As he approached the den, he called out to Daniel in a worried voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you continually serve able to rescue you from the lions? Then, king, then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and closed the lion's mouth so that they have not harmed me because I was found to be innocent before him, nor have I done nor have I done any harm to you, O king. Then the king was delighted and gave an order to haul Daniel up from the den. So Daniel was hauled up out of the den. He had no injury of any kind because he had trusted in his God. The king gave another order, and these men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den. They, their children, and their wives. They did not even reach the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and language, groups who were living in all the land, peace and prosperity. I have issued an edict that throughout all the dominion of my, pe- my kingdom, people are to revere and fear the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His authority is forever. He rescues and delivers and performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions, so that this so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. I know that was a lot. I know that was a lot, but I just wanted to read it just in case it's been a while um, that you've gone through it. Um, so we're we're looking at Daniel, and I want to point to these scenes in Daniel's life. We're we're going to look at them as scenes, all right? He was a real person, but I want I want you to think about a movie and these particular scenes that are going on. And so the first thing that we see is is character and capability, character and capability. So we see that Darius has taken over the land, and for some reason he has decided to divide the land into these. 120 uh, different types of uh, provinces. And so you got people over these provinces. And then above those folks, you got three more people. You got Daniel and two, two other folks who are kind of over those folks. And so they're protecting the king's interests in the area. And so Daniel is setting the stage, right? He's giving us all these details, right? He's talking about, okay, these 120 people, and then, then you got us three, and then we're, we're doing all this. So Daniel is telling you, he's setting up and saying, okay, this is a big deal, okay? I'm, I'm in this position of power, um, and so there's all these folks, and there's me. And so what comes to my mind is, uh, since I, you know, I've never been under a monarchy, uh, I think of, uh, the president, right? And so you have the president and you have his cabinet. And his cabinet, you got all these secretaries of such and such. And so I think of like the secretary, second, secretary of defense, right? So you got the secretary, you got the president, secretary of defense in his cabinet. And then under the secretary of defense, you have the joint chiefs who are the service leaders. You know, they're in charge of each of their service. So you got someone for the army. Uh, somewhere for the Navy, all that, Air Force. And then under those folks, then you just go on down the line all the way down to the private who just joined 
uh, yesterday. So in my mind, that's how I'm putting it together. So Daniel's saying, okay, we got this guy up top, and then we got this chain of command that kind of flows, right? And so Daniel, again, he's about in his 70s, and then you think of these other people might be a little bit younger than Daniel, so they're a little bit hungry. They want to prove themselves, right? Um, so uh, Daniel, like I said, is is uh, setting up the stage for us here, and he's in this position, and being a highly capable and honorable and trustworthy person, he begins to shine, right? Not because he is doing anything out of the ordinary, he's just living his life the way he's been accustomed to. And um, I, I just want to stop here real quick. I don't know about you, but... I think of Daniel, right? And Daniel living his life. So Daniel was taken from captivity when he was probably a teenager. It's been 60-something years, right? I don't know if I could be in this same position as Daniel is, right? I'm thinking myself being taken into captivity and trying to live my life in captivity, um, following the Lord under all this pressure in captivity. And Daniel has risen because of the way he lives his life following the Lord. But I don't know if that could be me. I don't know about you. If you've been in these times of pressure, these seasons in your life where you're just like, you start off living the way the Lord wants you to live. And maybe later on something happens that just tends to derail you. It reminds me of this movie. Anybody ever seen the Count of Monte Cristo or read the book? Anything like that? Okay. So you got Edmond Dantes. He's kind of like this uh, kind of simpleton, right? Uh, he's, he's a sailor on the ship. Um, and his best friend turns on him. His best friend who is jealous of him turns on him. His first mate turns on him as well. When he first gets to the jail, he starts. To, he sees that, you know, in God I trust or something like that. On, on the wall and he starts to he keeps carving it out keeps carving it out so when he's there when he first gets there his, his trust in, in the Lord is strong but then eventually as days turn into weeks weeks into months months into years he's beginning to lose that and when he meets the the priest which is what he calls him because this person now talks about the Lord all the time about God all the time he, the priest comes into his cell and he's just like uh, the priest is talking to him about God and he's like no, 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 priest. There's no God, no talk of God in here. So I think about Daniel, and I think about how he's remaining strong in the face of opposition, trusting in the sovereignty of God. Daniel's character and competency were not dependent on the circumstances of his life. It was not dependent on what was going on around him. It, Things didn't just have to be hunky-dory and going well for him to serve the Lord. This man was in captivity for 60-something years, and he was still choosing to follow the Lord. He lived for God and His standards, and naturally he began to shine in contrast to the other officials who were more than likely younger than him, hungry to get to the top, and I wonder if it could be for the same for us. I wonder if you would say that of yourself. If you were in a similar position, would you be as easy to, uh, or as quick to trust in the sovereignty of God? Do you, would you trust that God is in control of all things, including your life? 
And would that cause you to live your life in a way that would honor Him? So in, in your work, in your schools, in your, in your sphere of influence, could that be said of you? What was said of Daniel? Would you be working as in Colossians 3, for the, as Colossians 3 tells us, to work for the Lord and not for man? You see, when, when we as believers um, seek to honor the Lord in the way we live and not to jockey for position, not to look to be promoted, not to look to shine in front of folks, all that other stuff takes care of itself. All that is that takes care of itself. I mean, there was this, there was this character and competency of Daniel in that he just did what came naturally to him. He, he did what he would always do. He just followed the Lord. Things will turn out in the way, uh, in the way they should. Maybe not the way you expect, but the Lord is always working. Amen? So we talked about his character and capability or his competency, and now we move to the second point where we look at this com- conspiracy, right? So we see that the two other officials begin to plot, and not only them, but the rest of the 120 satraps. So basically, there's this conspiracy against Daniel. And, and so the picture is that they kind of swarm the king, right? So they come to where the king is and they say, Hey king, um, you know, this is what's going on. Uh, we want you to put a law in and, and we want you to do it according to the Medes and Persians where it can't be revoked. And so for the next 30 days, which is kind of weird, just a, a 30 day minimum, for the next 30 days we, we just want you to be the man. King, we want you. So they're playing to his ego and they're like, alright king, we don't want anybody to do anything but pray to you. When they need help, we want them to come to you and pray to you and honor you. And so the king is probably like, yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, pray no, no other God or no other thing but me for 30 days. Okay. And they're kind of like, alright king, come on, we're going to do this. Let's do this quickly. They're trying to, trying to get it done fast before the king has any time to like, Think of what's going on, because I'm sure if he takes the time to think about it, and he, t- he takes the time to think of Daniel, and Daniel's character, and Daniel's relationship with his God, that he might say, you know what, this is probably not a good idea, because Daniel, you know, Daniel prays three times a day every day. So, the, what does the king do? He, he kind of gives in, he gets uh, bamboozled, hoodwinked even, um, and he puts this law into, into motion. And so, this conspiracy happens, and um, this conspiracy happens, and it happens rather quickly, right? And so, they put the law in motion, and everything is going, and what does Daniel do? Does Daniel hide? Does Daniel stop doing what he usually does? No, he doesn't. If you look, uh, the Bible tells us he goes up to his upper chamber and he prays in the same way he was accustomed to doing. I mean, if you think about it, could he have done something else? He had some choices, right? He could have, he could have followed the law and kind of disobeyed the Lord, disobeyed God, right? He could have prayed in secret, right? Which God instructs us to do as believers, right? He could, he could have gone to his closet, right? He didn't have to pray outside, but Daniel wasn't going to do that. He wasn't going to let the outcome of what, what his life, his relationship with God be dictated by 
someone else. Now, if you notice, Daniel didn't make a big hoopla about it, right? He didn't go on Facebook and, and tear people down for wearing masks or tear people down for not wearing masks and talk about their freedoms, right? No, he didn't. He just continued to live how God wanted him to live, right? So he went and prayed, and they knew where to find him, right? So there was consistency in Daniel's life. They knew where to go, and they knew where they could be, where they could hear him. So they devised this plan, they got him, and uh, so the conspiracy was set. I wonder, is this something that could be said of us in our lives? Can people say this about your character, about your walk with the Lord? Can people, will people know the caliber of the person that you are as a believer? Can you be convicted for following God? This makes me, uh, since we're thinking of scenes and movies, uh, this reminds me of another movie, uh, The Kingdom of Heaven. Anybody seen that one? Orlando Bloom. So there's this one scene where Orlando Bloom has gone to Jerusalem uh, during the Crusades with his estranged father. And he shows up, you know, there was this horrible shipwreck and uh, he kind of wakes up on the sand and uh, he sees this horse. So he's trying to get to Jerusalem. He tries to go, go get to the horse that was there and the horse had something wrapped around his leg. So he freaks out. He takes off. So now he's crossing through the desert trying to get to Jerusalem. He comes across this little oasis where the horse is drinking water. He comes up to the horse, takes the thing off his leg, and he's fine. Everything's good. The problem is, there are two Muslim men who see him from a distance, and they're on their horses. And they have claimed the horse because the horse is on their land. And so he's like, okay, well, I guess now we got to fight for it. So he pulls out his sword, and he's ready. So he does battle with this one guy. The guy's servant tries to stop the battle, um, and he can't get to it in time, so uh, Orlando Bloom's character kills this one guy. So his servant tries to come after him and avenge his master, and uh, sure enough, uh, he gets him down on the floor. So he's, he's there with the sword, and so the servant thinks he's, that's it, he's done. And so Orlando Bloom let, let, lets him get up, and he says, hey, come on, take me to Jerusalem, show me the way. So they both jump on horses, they head to Jerusalem. When they get there, um, as is the custom, uh, this servant now belongs to Orlando Bloom's character. He's like, hey, you know, this was, this was war, you know, you beat me fair and square, I get to be your slave for life. And so he, he says something like, hey, I, I, you know, I've been a slave or, or pretty near to one, and I would never suffer somebody, uh, to, to have the same fate. So, you know, be on your way. Be free. Let him take his horse, and and he goes. And and before he leaves, he he tells him, um, what does he tell him? He tells him, your quality will be known among your enemies before ever you meet them, my friend. Your quality will be known among your enemies before ever you meet them. So, fast forward, he's now you know been inducted. He's been knighted by his father, who passed away. Things like that, and then. So he's sent with his little crew of knights to go protect the walled city, right? Because the Muslim army is coming. 
um, because they're coming to do battle with this one guy who did some pretty nasty deeds. And so they're coming to avenge what happened. And so he's got this little little contingent of little knights, right? Well, they were big guys, but uh, a little contingent of knights. And they're, they're coming out of the city kind of like that, and they're riding. And then you see this big, massive army, and just it overtakes them. And so they're inside, and so they're fighting. So naturally, they, use, they lose a few of their people. This guy gets knocked out. When he wakes up, he sees what's left of his knights as he's being drugged, you know, as he's being dragged across the sand. And you see the guy pull out his sword. And it looks like he's going to just take him out. And so you hear the shing, and then the sword goes into the ground right next to his head. And so the sun is reflecting off the sword, and it kind of like wakes him up. And as he looks up, he hears... Your quality will be known among your enemies before ever you meet them, my friend. It was the same person that he had let go. Turns out, this guy was the nobleman. The other guy that he had killed was the servant. And he had let him go. And he had treated him kindly. And he was a man of character with this person. So, they say he lets him go, and he, t- <laughs> he lets him, him and his knights go, and he tells them, he tells them what he told them, and he says, you reap what you sow. You have heard this, yes? And he's like, yes, yes. And so he lets him go. So anyway, that reminded me of Daniel, whose quality would be known to all, even his enemies. Would it be the same for us as believers? Would your quality be known to the people amongst you? In your job, as I said, in your job, in your school, in your spheres of influence, will people know what you're about? The next thing, so we've seen character and capability. We've seen a conspiracy. And the next thing we see is condemnation. So we see that, as, as you know, this law can't be overturned, right? So we see that the, the king puts the law in order, and now he has to put into motion what needs to happen, right? Daniel needs to be put to death. And so you see this turmoil that the king is in, right? You see this turmoil that he's in because he's like, man, man, why did I do this? Why did I put this law into, into motion? Now I gotta kill Daniel. And Daniel is like his right hand man, right? And so you see that there's like this friendship that has been, uh, that has developed in, in juxtaposition to Nebuchadnezzar Belshazzar, right? They they were like, hey, Belshazzar was like, hey, let's go. Let's kill them people, right? This king is like, man, why did I do that? Now I gotta I gotta I gotta let go of Daniel. So he goes back and, and for the rest of the day he's trying to figure out how he can get out of it, but this thing is ironclad. There's no way of getting out of this law, this contract, right? He's inconsolable. He, he doesn't eat. There's no entertainment for the king that night. He's probably like worried because now Daniel's in the lines. Then the rock is over the the hole, and uh, he he sealed it with his signet ring along with the other leaders. And basically, that's just a signature on the rock. Nobody can move this until I move it. So he's freaked out. The next morning, at, and and some of us have probably had this kind of night, right? Where you're just like, 
The night is so, so long. You're worried. You can't sleep. You're tossing and turning. And then the next morning, as soon as the light is out, you see the first glimpse of light. You're like, okay, let's go. Let's go. So he runs over there and he, he goes to Daniel. He's like, Daniel, did, did your God save you? Please let that be the case. Did your God save you? And he said, King, may you live forever. God sent an angel. And he closed the, the mouth of the lions. And again, this is something that we could like glimpse over, right? We can just like read, oh yeah, he sent an angel and he closed the mouth of the lions. That's, of course, that's what God did. I've never come face to face with a lion. I don't know about you. I did come face to face with a Rottweiler once who bit my leg and that was pretty scary and I screamed like a little girl and then I punched it and I ran. I was like, ah! And I ran around the car and I was like, please don't bite me. I can't imagine being in a den of hungry lions and just giving myself to the Lord and say, Lord, I know you got me. Come with me. Whichever way this turns out, here we go. So he says, yeah, God took care of me. Of course he did. Angel held the mouth of the lions. And I was okay. So we had a conspiracy. We had character competency. We have conspiracy. We have condemnation. Where Daniel had to suffer the fate of the lions then. And then um, we see that the king now switches where Daniel is now free and those who had designed the plot to make him go, uh, to make him do the law and, and have him sent to the lion's den, those folks went into the lion's den, them, their wives, their children, and, and that was it. That's all she wrote for that. But we see that God took care of Daniel. Daniel was a man who followed hard after God and did everything he was supposed to do not because he was trying to be in the limelight, not because he was trying to uh, jockey for position and, and get and be the number one right-hand man, but just because that's what God had told him to do. And we see that God used this so much so that a pagan king was celebrating. A pagan king was celebrating that Daniel was okay. I mean, he was, this basically, it's like a, a psalm here that he wrote for God. And this is the pagan king saying, I have issued an edict that throughout all the dominion of my kingdom, people are to revere and fear the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His authority is forever. He rescues and delivers and performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So we see that Daniel lived in a way following after God so much so that the pagan uh, king had to, had no other option than to recognize God's work in his life. Through our time this morning, we saw a few scenes of a man's life. We 
We saw David lived a life for God and that affected everything about him and people took notice. We saw that even though he trusted God and lived for him, it didn't mean that everything was always going to go according to plan. And we saw that in spite of what was going on around him, he trusted God and continued to live as he always did. Ultimately, God delivered him from the hands of his enemies and he prospered. So what? What does this mean for us? Right? What does this mean for me as a believer, as one who follows hard after Christ? So as believers, we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, right? And as Oren was mentioning earlier this morning, the goal is to grow deeper in knowledge of Jesus, right? And, and to be changed by the Holy Spirit on a daily basis to become more and more like Christ. So we as believers are indwelled by this Holy Spirit and we live in a world that is not our own. We too should be living a life different from those around us. And how do we do that? How do we live a life different from those around us as David did, as Daniel did? Again, Daniel did not care what the circumstances was, were. He did not care what was going to happen. He lived in the manner he was supposed to do, supposed to be in. And so that's how we as believers should live. We're to walk in a manner according to the gospel, trusting in the sovereignty of God that no matter what happens in our lives, knowing that Anything that has come to us has first gone through the hands of the Lord. So whether we're all good and we've, rose in, we've risen up to be one of the three folks uh, in all the land governing all these people, or whether we're in the lion's den and we might not make it out, or whether we're on the other side of the lion's den and the Lord has delivered us. We are to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, trusting in the sovereignty of God, knowing ultimately, no matter what happens, we are where we're supposed to be. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Father, for the work of Jesus on the cross. Lord, we thank you for your spirit that indwells us and gives us the ability to believe and to live, Father, and to be transformed, uh, to be more and more like your Son. Lord, help us to trust you, Father. Help us to trust you um, when it comes to our lives, Father, our, our daily lives, living for you, Father, no matter uh, what may come, trusting that you will deliver us, Father. And if not, Father, that uh, we are where we're supposed to be. In Jesus' name, amen.